You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Every month, 538,000 different users or accounts search on YouTube, Bible study, how-to. Every month, that phrase receives over 60,000 searches on Google. Barna did a research study in 2018, and they found that more than half, in fact, 58% of adults wished that they read the Bible more. So if half a million people every month are searching the internet on how they can read the Bible, if more than half Americans wish that they read the Bible more, why is it that we currently live in an age where we have less familiarity with Scripture than the generations before us? Why is it that right now there is a a, a lack of biblical knowledge? We live in a time where you can't refer to some of the basic stories of the Old Testament that I was blessed to learn in Sunday school from Mrs. Ritter, who was, I think she was maybe only 50 or 60 at the time, but she seemed like she was 90. Um, Mrs. Ritter is listening in heaven, please don't be upset. She's this sweet, dear old lady that every Sunday she would teach me the stories of the Bible. And so much of what I know from the Bible comes from that early age where she was teaching me in Sunday school. My parents were reading the Bible with me as a child. I'm incredibly blessed. I recognize that. So why is it that in our cultures there, there's, there's not as much familiarity with the Bible? Why is it that we aren't that familiar with God's Word? We want to read it more. We're interested in how to read the Bible but we're not reading the Bible. And I think the reason is we we don't really understand why we read the Bible. And that's what I want to uncover for you today. I just had a great visit over Christmas with my family that lives in Virginia and got to see my parents and my brother and sister and their spouses and children. Um, But I also got to see my grandparents And all of my grandparents live within walking distance of my parents' home in Virginia. In fact, my grandparents on my mother's side live right next door. And so as my grandparents on my mother's side have become more uh, feeble as they've grown older, my mother has done a lot of work to take care of them. And they're at a stage in their life where they have medicines that they need to take every day at very specific times of the day. And so at first they had, you know, those little pill boxes that say Monday, Tuesday, you know, has all the days of the week. And then they went to the ones that's like Monday morning, Monday lunch, Monday afternoon, Monday evening. And still my grandparents were forgetting to take their medicine. My mom would come over and load the pill boxes up for them. And then she'd come back later and see that they were all still neatly where she had put them in the pill boxes. And so my mom and her siblings, they found this contraption. It's just an amazing machine to me that they're actually able to load all of the medicine for a week into this this machine that sits on the counter at my grandparents' house, and it will chirp or ding or ring like an alarm when it's time to take their medicine, and it will bring out these two little capsules, one for each of them, and on the top of it, it has their name, and they can take that medicine. And on top of that, 
if they don't take the medicine, this machine is connected to their phone line and it will call my mom's phone to tell her that her parents have not taken their medicine. And so she's able to call them or go over and say, you haven't taken your morning medicine. Well, my grandparents, they're forgetful, but they're still pretty sharp. So they've gotten wise to this. So now when the machine chirps and tells them it's time to take their medicine, if they're in the middle of something and they don't want to stop and go get a drink of water or do whatever is necessary to take their medicine in that moment, they will take it out of the machine and set it on the counter next to the machine and go back to what they're doing. And so my mom will come over in the afternoon or in the evening, and there's the medicine that they were supposed to take that day sitting on the counter in front of the machine. They have put all of these things into place to make sure that they take this medicine, which they know that they really need, and yet the medicine isn't taken. Why is that? Because in that moment, in that moment when it chimes and tells them that they need to take that medicine, they know that they should take it, and they know that the doctor that prescribed it knows what's going on with them and has prescribed them medicine that will be beneficial to them. But they believe that what they're doing right now is very important, and that medicine can wait just a couple of minutes. I mean, Sean Hannity is just really going on Fox News at the moment, and they don't want to miss that, and so they'll set the medicine. We're going to come back to it in a second. Now, what's hilarious about this to me is that they're both retired. Not really sure what they fill their days with. My grandfather led a large church for many years, and I can remember when I was a kid, he would come over for dinner, he would eat his food, and he would immediately stand up and say, well, this has been great, but I still need to, and he would list off seven things that need to happen that night. He no longer leads a large organization. He no longer has all these people that he's trying to care for and look after, but still, In his mid-80s, he'll come over, he'll eat dinner with us, he'll finish the food, and he'll stand up and go, well, this has been great, but we need to be going. And I actually had to walk into a different room laughing because this year my mom said to him, where are you going? What do you need to do? Why don't you stick around? But he's just always been in this mode of there's something else that needs to be done, something else that needs to be accomplished. And the truth is that we live this way. We live as if there's constantly something else that needs to happen, even when it really doesn't need to happen, right? I mean, we live in the most frenetic-paced time, but we have all of these tools at our disposal to save us time. We live at a time where we don't have time to do the things that we feel like we really ought to do or the things that we want to do, but somehow Netflix is being watched more than ever before. We don't have time to read our Bibles because we barely have enough time to watch seven episodes of that new series that's on streaming devices. And we just constantly move from one thing to the next. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see that Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's not writing to him in a moment when things are going great. He's not writing to him in a moment when everything is just hunky-dory Paul's writing to him from prison. And he's writing to Timothy, who's in the middle of trying to lead this church in a very difficult context, in a context of oppression and a context of persecution. And so it's not that Timothy has all this time on his hands. It's not that Paul has all this time on his hands. But what we see here in this passage is that Paul constantly 
pushes Timothy, reminds Timothy to spend time in God's Word. And the truth is, is that you will never have time to read the Bible unless you make time to read the Bible. You will never have time to read the Bible unless you make time to read the Bible. There will always be something that can rob your attention, your focus, always be something that can take your time. And the evil one will make sure of that. He will make sure that there's always something that can take your attention elsewhere. You will have to make time to read the Bible. So let's make some time right now to read the Bible. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 1. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Does that, does that feel like maybe that's today? No, Paul is talking about the last chapter, and we are in the last chapter. I'm not saying that Jesus is going to come back this moment. He could. What I'm saying is that we're in the the last chapter. This is the final chapter. This is the final age. He's saying in these ages, in this time, there will be perilous days. And I, I want you to listen to his next words and see this kind of describes the age that we live in. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous or envious, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent or lacking self-control, fierce, and despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minder, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. Paul apparently has someone very specific in mind here, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then Paul begins to give us an example from the life of Moses, and then he begins to speak of examples from his own life. And by the way, if we can just kind of push pause here for a moment, occasionally people will say to me, why can't all the churches just be one? And I totally understand that sentiment. Like, why can't all of the churches be unified? Why can't we all be on the same page And the truth is, there are a lot of great churches in this area, and there are a lot of really good pastors that I would love to to welcome to speak in in our pulpit, to speak to you. I would love for if my children grow up and they attended a church, they'd be under a person like them or go to a church like that one. But there are some churches that I would not want my children to attend. And there are some pastors that I would not trust my children's piggy bank with. Because there are some that use the word and use the, the church as an instrument of filthy gain. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, not only are there going to be days where the world grows worse, there are going to be days where people who pretend to be of the church grow worse. So not only will there be this evil without, there will be an evil within So what do we do? Well, Paul tells us, 
Look down at verse 12. Yea, all that live will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. What do we do? We stay faithful to the scriptures. And then Timothy's blessed case, he's able to stay faithful to the scriptures that he began learning when he was a child. If you're here today and you brought a child to learn in kids' ministry, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for entrusting your children to us. It is such a great responsibility and a high calling that we have to not only build the church that our friends and neighbors will come to join, but that our children will one day lead. Timothy grew up knowing the truth. He was blessed in that regard like I have been. He said, stay faithful to the scriptures you learned when you were a child. Verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Why do we read the Bible? Because it is literally the truth of God for us. Paul tells Timothy, all Scripture is inspired. In other words, it is literally the breath of God. God said it Himself. Are you familiar with the phrase, straight from the horse's mouth? I have no idea what that means, what kind of speaking horses do other than on Mr. Ed. And, but for some reason, there's this phrase that straight from the horse's mouth. You heard it from that person. When we read the Bible, we're hearing it straight from God's mouth. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. The Scripture is breathed by God. And he says that as things grow worse and worse, as there are evil men all around us, as there are people even within the church that are doing the wrong thing and even using the church as a way to extract money from people, to steal from people, that even in the midst of this, what we should do is we should stay faithful to the Scriptures. And no matter how bad things get, no matter how badly they wax worse and worse, no matter how difficult or adverse things become, we should always stay faithful to God's Word because it's literally the speech, the breath, the Word of God. What Paul is telling Timothy here is that in these moments is when he needs the Bible the most. As things get difficult, hold fast. Continue in the things that you have learned. Hold on to them. Friend, when things are the craziest is when we need the Bible the most. That's when we need the Bible the most. When life is just chaotic, when things are going just, just completely out of control, that's when we need God's Word the most. It's in those moments. Many of you don't know David and Kim Stone, and I hate that for you because they're just, just wonderful people. In August of 2017, 
David, who belonged to our church, and he and his wife Kim were, were faithful, uh, part of our church. David called me as he was driving away from Toyota. He was at work and he'd gotten the call that his daughter-in-law and two grandchildren had been in a horrific traffic accident on the interstate. That his two grandchildren had been life-flighted to a hospital. And over the next several days... I would receive numerous phone calls and text messages from David. I would go to St. Louis to where they were being held in a special children's hospital. And their their nine-year-old granddaughter would pass from this life to the next. Their grandson, who was one week before starting kindergarten, was touch and go. I mean, there were so many moments. that we thought we were going to lose it. Every time, this is not an exaggeration, every time that I spoke to David on the phone, every time that I saw him at the hospital in St. Louis, every time he sent me a text message to update me on the condition of his grandchildren, there was always a Bible verse that he was holding on to. Because when life was, its, was at its most chaotic, when life was its craziest, was when he needed God's word the most. And not only was it when he needed God's word the most, he told me that it was in these times that he came to appreciate some of those passages the best. And when life is at its worst, God's word is at its best. When we experience great loss, when we suffer hardship and adversity, God's word comes through and provides us with the hope that we can find nowhere else. Honestly, when I watch people go through tragedy and they don't have a relationship with the Lord and they don't have an anchor for their souls in the truth of God's Word, I don't know how do they cope. Because I can't make it with God's Word and I have been so very blessed to live a charmed, fortunate life. Why is this? Because the Bible and the promises here in the Bible were written by the creator of mankind who knows our soul, who knows the condition of man, who knows what is broken within us, who knows the desires that we have, the, 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 the parts of us that are missing, the pieces of our heart that are vacant and void. God knows that better than anyone. Let me ask you something. If you, were, if you were critically sick, would you want some medical advice from your friends on Facebook or from a doctor who's done scans of your body and looked at x-rays and has, has MRI scans in front of him? You know where we get ourselves into trouble? We get ourselves into trouble when we're feeling a little sick and then we Google our symptoms. You ever done that? It's terrifying. 
you're always like, I'm dying. (laughs) And in life, in matters of the heart, in matters of the soul, in matters of relationships, in matters of, of marriage and parenting, we are constantly going to sources that don't know anything really about us and what's happening within us. But God knows us. And He has written a manual. He's written a guide on this human life. And there is no more authoritative voice on the condition of man, on the human experience, than God. Why would we go searching anywhere else? Why would we go get the opinions of mankind? That's the reason that every Sunday... You come here, I promise you, that we will do our best to break down this word for you. Because what I have to say is meaningless. I can't even straighten myself out. All that is good in me is what God has done in me through the power of His Spirit and the teaching of His Word. That's where the the help is. That's where the medicine is. But what happens is that in the busyness and in the rush of life, as we go from one chaotic moment to the next, we go from one thing to the next, we know, yeah, the Bible's important. And I'm going to get to it eventually. But we just go from thing to thing to thing. And we don't make time to take our medicine. And I think that I'm talking to a group of people that overwhelmingly you believe that this is God's Word. You believe that there is a God. Overwhelming, you believe that you do need the Bible, but you let in those moments everything else distract you from what is most important. We believe the Bible is important, but we don't believe that the Bible is most important. Is the Bible most important? And I know that you have pressing things in your life. I know that you have many things that you're running to to do. I know that they're noble things. I know that you have obligations for your children. I know that many of you have obligations to care for your parents, as I watched my mother do this past week. My friend, you will not be able to do any of those well if we don't make the most important thing the most important thing. And so in this time of crisis and in the impending doom that is coming, the difficulty that is ahead for Timothy, Paul tells him, stay faithful to the Word of God that you were taught when you were a child. And he says, all Scripture is inspired. And I really want you to get a hold of those first two words in verse 16. All Scripture. All Scripture. Because many times what we, we think, or what we act like, is that, yeah, yeah, I mean, I love Jesus, and the words of Jesus are really important. I, I love God, and the New Testament is really important. But what Timothy is being told here is to hold on to the scriptures that you were taught as a child. And the scriptures that Timothy would have had a hold of when he was a child, that his mother and grandmother teach him, that we learn about elsewhere, 
They would have been teaching him the Old Testament stories, the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament prophecies. And what Paul says is that they are able to instruct you in salvation through faith in Jesus. What Paul is saying is that all of it is important. That all of Scripture matters. That all of it is vital. And what we see is the testimony of Scripture itself is that all of it is to be included. The Old Testament foretold of the New Testament. The New Testament quotes the Old Testament 300 times and alludes to the people and places in the Old Testament around 4,000 times. Do you know that, that in the Bible, the phrase, the Lord says, is in the Bible 3,000 times. 3,000 times. Scripture says, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord has said. Now, the Bible is written by all of these different authors, 40 different men who were rich and poor, and they were kings and shepherds. But as they're writing this down, they had the audacity to say, thus says the Lord. I mean, if I stood before you and I just started saying things and I said, and that's what God says, you'd be a little like, wow, that guy's got a Messiah complex. For these men to write these things, and for them to say, thus says the Lord, they believed wholeheartedly that they were receiving the word from the Lord and passing it down. And though they spoke different languages, and the Bible was written over the course of 1,500 years, they were all giving us a consistent, similar message. Can can you imagine if the group of people that's in the congregation today... If I said, all right, everybody get a piece of paper and a pen, go to a different place here on the church campus and write a sentence. And we're going to compile it all together. You think we come up with a story that makes sense? No. Some of you be writing about the playoffs. and Some of us be writing about New Year's resolutions. My son would give us several sentences on Pokemon, which is his current fascination. We'd all go off in our own different directions, onto our own tangents. And though these 40 different people were from different walks of life and lived in different ages and lived in different locations, even spoke different languages, they give us this book which is consistent in its theme and in its message. And they even quote one another. 46 times in the Bible we have the phrase, it is written, quoting the Bible. 33 of those times are in the New Testament pointing back at the Old Testament. You see, what we we find throughout Scripture is that all of the Bible is the Word of God and all of it points to Jesus. It's all focusing us on Jesus. It's for that reason that Paul says all all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What's doctrine? Doctrine is the teaching of who God is. It's the doctrine of who Jesus is. It's the doctrine of Jesus is the Son of God who came to die for our sin. Reproof. Reproof is showing you that you're doing it wrong. Not only are you doing it wrong, but this is why you're doing it wrong. Because your attitude, your spirit is wrong. 
Correction shows you where you did it wrong. And instruction in righteousness shows you how to make it right. I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. He says that doctrine is showing us truth. Reproof exposes our rebellion. God's Word shows us what is real and then exposes our hearts as ones that have turned away from God. Correcting our mistakes. And training us to live God's way. All the Scripture is breathed by God and it was all pointing us to Jesus Because Jesus in and of himself, in his person, was able to show us who God is. To convict us of our own sin and rebellion against God. And show us the way to please God. The Bible is is a wonderful book. But it, it doesn't call us to worship it. We're not called to worship the Bible. The Bible just points us to Jesus. Maybe you've done this. I've seen people do this um, many times. They're on a road trip. They're going somewhere on vacation. And as they make their way on this road trip, they stop at each state line and get their picture taken with the state sign. Welcome to Kentucky. Welcome to Tennessee. Welcome to Alabama. Why? Why would you post a picture of that, of Alabama? Come on. Welcome to Georgia. Welcome to Florida. Where are they going? They're going to the beach in Florida. Nobody is going on a trip to look at the welcome to this state sign. Right? I mean, we don't build our vacations around, we're going to get as many photos with state signs as possible. No, we're going somewhere. And that state sign is just a way marker on the path, on the journey. It's pointing us in the right direction. It's showing us the way that we should go. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is God-breathed. His truth it speaks to the need of our hearts and the brokenness of us. And then it points us to Jesus because he's the destination. We don't, we don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. And the Bible points us to the one we worship. Points us to the one who can bring comfort to our broken hearts, can forgive us of our rebellion and sin, empower us to live in a way that is pleasing to God. Why do we read the Bible? Because it's God's Word that points us back to Himself, that shows us the way to Him. That's the reason it's the most important thing. It's not an important thing. It's the most important thing. Because it shows us the way to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me?